Well, my name is Nick, and um, I am one of the pastors here, and um, it's my privilege and responsibility to get to, uh, to help lead Redemption City Church. Uh, for those of you that may be new, Harley touched on this a little bit earlier, but let me just give you a couple quick um, pieces of information. First off, we are a brand spanking new uh, church to this part of the city of Austin, and we moved last May basically to begin meeting um, and gathering and trying to say, how can we love and serve South Austin and reach them with the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ? And we are convinced um, that there is life in Christ. And so we want every person to experience that. And uh, we do not have it all together. In fact, the longer you hang out with us, the more you're screwed up you'll see that we are. Um, and I just say that, you know, not because um, trying to make some, some line. I mean, the truth is, is that we're broken. We're broken in our humanity. And, uh, but the awesome thing is that God is redeeming that. He is uh, beautifully putting things back together, and that's why uh, our church is called Redemption City Church, um, because we believe that the biblical narrative, the story of the Bible, is one of God redeeming, and uh, that he takes our mess, he takes our mess mistakes, and he meets us there, and he uh, brings um, beautiful creations out of that, uh, and ultimately, he has, he has rescued us, and uh, one day, we'll ultimately restore all the things that are broken in this life. So... Um, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to pull it out because we're going to look. And if you don't have a Bible, there's actually some Bibles in front of you uh, in the chairs if you want to pull one out. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that with you. It's it's your gift from us. Um, And uh, I just want you to know that as we get into the Word tonight, uh, for those of you that maybe this is your first time here, you got to come on a night we're talking about money. So you're like, yes, this is what I always wanted to hear about was money, right? Because everybody who goes to church wants to hear about Money. In fact, when I go to church, uh, that's what I hope they preach on every time is money, right? Uh, my neighbors in my neighborhood, uh, and, and actually uh, some of my neighbors have come uh, to the church, and uh, one of the things I've noticed is that when I talk to them about church, uh, they're always like, yes, the church always just wants my money. All they want is my money. They, call, they always talk about money. So I don't know if that's really true, but that's what I hear a lot of. And they're like, I don't really want to go to church because I don't want to hear them talk more about money. Um, Well, the the only problem is, and I wish I could avoid the topic of money, but the Bible talks a lot about money. In fact, the book of Luke, which is one of the Gospels, is almost completely about money. If you read it from start to finish, you would see that most of the stories talk about money. Um, And beyond that, there's a huge connection between our our hearts and how we feel about money and how we feel about God. So I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. But as a baseline, I want to say a couple of things that I think are significant because... um, I think if you're like me, you kind of live in a deluded reality, like you kind of miss um, what's really going on when it comes to money in our culture. Um, I'm not going to hammer this tonight, but I just want to kind of give us a quick snapshot because many times um, I can find myself discontent with what I have. Anybody in that boat? Anybody ever feel like, okay, I want more, okay? It's just part of who we are. And here's the thing. We always compare ourselves to those who have more, not those who have less. Agreed? I mean, it's, it's like the way that it functions, the way that we work is we look at those who have more than us and we go, okay, I want what they have. And that's part of our broken humanity. Uh, it's also something in us that was there that God put there, the, the desire for more, the desire for, for things. And so we have to make sure that in that, we don't lose sight of some important uh, realities. And one of those is this, just, just some statistics for you, that if you make $40,000 a year, if you, in your home, you make $40,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wealth in the entire world. That means if you make $40,000 a year, that you make more than 96% of the people who walk on the planet. Okay? So that one doesn't get you. The second one, 
If you make $48,000 a year, catch this, if you make $48,000 a year combined income in your home, you are in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. Is that crazy? Now, when you live in Austin, Texas, in the U.S. of A., you don't feel that, do you? You don't seem, you don't seem to think, like, I-, I am wealthy. But regularly, we had this conversation at my dinner table. We just got through with a three-week series on parenting. And um, pretty fair, fairly often at my, my dinner table, I just try to stop my kids and look all of them in the eye and say, listen, we are rich. We are wealthy. Because I want them to know that we have so much. That there's so much that we have. And sometimes we just lose sight of that. We forget. But here's the other thing that I think is very interesting. It's intriguing to me. You would think that when you make more money, that you give more money, right? If you make more, you automatically would want to give more of that away. But let me tell you a couple of interesting statistics. That the average income in the United States is $50,000 a year. That's the average. So if you make more than that, you're above average. How about that? But if you make $50,000 a year, that's, that's the average income in the U.S. And of those people who make $50,000 a year, they give away 6% of their income to charity. Not just to churches, but to any charity. Just any kind of philanthropy, any kind of work they do, they give away uh, to nonprofits. That's 6%. Okay, that's the average in the United States based on the research we have. Here's what's intriguing to me. When you go to $200,000 a year, when you make $200,000 a year, then they only give away 4%, or I should say they give away 4%, okay? It sounds bad, like I'm down on it. But I'm glad they're giving something, right? But 4% of their income away when they get to 200000 When you get to half a million, for those folks who make half a million and up, it goes to slightly over 2% of your income. So what's interesting about that to me is that you would think that giving would increase as income increases, but actually it decreases. And maybe that's because when I have $10 to give and I give one of them, that's 10%, right? Which is uh, the biblical uh, baseline for giving would be 10%. If I give $1, that doesn't feel like it's a lot of money. But when I have a million dollars and I give 10%, that's a big deal, isn't it? That feels like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money. How do I, oh man, that's really gonna be hard to let go of. Whatever the issue is, here's what I want you to understand. If you've got your listening guide tonight, follow along with me. There's some notes you can take if you wanna take them and, and come back and follow up with this later. But there's a huge connection between our view and use of money and our spiritual maturity. And this isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible tells us. It tells us this, and it explains it in multiple places, and we're only going to look at one passage of Scripture tonight. But there's a a tremendous connection. And one of the amazing marks of maturity in a Jesus follower's life is radical generosity. That one of the marks of maturity of a mature Jesus follower, someone who says, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my God, I'm following Him, I'm going to live like in the ways of Jesus, is that they're radically generous. That's, that's normative behavior for those people that are spiritually mature. Are you with me? And what's, what's I think, um, really cool is when you look back into the early church, first century, when Jesus li- came, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected, and then he left his disciples, and he gave them the commission. He said, go out and make disciples of all people, okay? And after he did that, the early church was under um, a ton of oppression. I mean, they were under tons of persecution, and as a result... The church, the people who claimed to follow Jesus were very poor. They didn't have the the capacity to get jobs or to make a lot of money. The government and people that time would put a lot of pressure on them. I've experienced this firsthand when I went to Kazakhstan Kazakhstan in Central Asia. Anybody ever been to Central Asia area? Um, 
we were over there. We were working with some church leaders. My wife raises her hand because she went with me. But uh, we, we got to spend some time with church leaders over there. And these guys in Tajikistan, uh, we had some leaders from Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, all the Stan countries, right? They came in for this training. And these guys from Tajikistan were telling us stories how that once a person came to faith in Jesus, they couldn't get a job. And so literally their families were starving and trying to find some way to make income. And so that's what was going on in the early church. People who claimed to follow Jesus were really struggling. And so they were very poor, very, very poor. They didn't have um, a lot of wealth at all. And, and so what's crazy about that to me is that we also know that in the midst of their poverty, they were incredibly generous. They were incredibly generous. And maybe you've experienced this if you've ever gone to a place in the world where there's a lot of poverty and experienced generosity. One of the places that I can reflect on, um, because I've had the opportunity to travel some, but, but I've been to Mexico a number of times, and it's, it's always interesting to me to go and interact with people who have so much less than I do, and they just keep giving and giving and giving and giving, and they want, to, they want me to eat their food, and they want me to enjoy their home, and they're so hospitable, and they, they just want to bless you with their stuff, and you're like, you, don't, you know you don't have anything. You know I'm from America, right? Like, I could just go buy this. It, it's so easy, and they're like, we want to bless you. Generosity wells up in the poverty. And the early church was like that. It was one of the distinctive marks, and much is written in history about the early church and how they shared what they had. In fact, it's a great apologetic for the gospel as they lived in community with one another, that they cared for each other's needs. It says that they would sell their possessions so that everyone had what they needed, so that there was equality. What would that look like today? What would it look like if we literally began to sell our possessions and to find a way for equality. Well, you know, I mean, isn't that kind of like communism? You know, everybody has equal, equal stuff and, and everybody. But we know it doesn't work in the real world, don't we? Because we're broken humans. We're broken in our humanity. We bro- we're broken. And, and the, re- the reality is the people at the top always do it in such a way that it prospers them. The best government that could ever be set up and established would be one that was a benevolent dictator where the the, the the person in charge uh, truly lived for the people and to give to the people and care for the people and meet the needs of the people more than their own. And guess what? That's God. God loves us. He gives to us. He cares for us. He, he wants us to have what we need and even is gracious enough to give us some of the things that we want. So as I said, you get your Bible. I'm going to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want us just to take a minute to look at the text tonight, and it's a passage of scripture that about four weeks ago, Matt, uh, one of our elders, got up and taught on generosity, that, that grace is what should drive our generosity. And so tonight, I'm going to finish this, and here's why, because um, Harley was mentioning earlier, we're going to be moving to uh, a public school here in our community uh, called Kasurik Elementary. It's off of Slaughter Lane. And we're going to be meeting there starting on September the 8th. That's when we officially launch our Sunday gathering. So we've been kind of just gearing up, planning, meeting people, learning the community, and preparing for that. But uh, we want to continue to grow at reaching people with the gospel. And what we've um, seen is that Kasurik Elementary has a ton of needs. They have all these needs. They've got tons of families that are connected there that, um, that have needs. And we want to be a part of helping meet those needs, okay? But we're going to go there and begin to use that space. And, and uh, part of going and meeting there is that we are going to need to buy some equipment to go and to be a part uh, of the, to, to, to meet at that campus because they don't have everything we need. We walk in here on Sunday nights right now, we use the stuff that's here, and we walk out. We haven't had to purchase a lot. It's been very awesome for this first year of our church, but we're going to move 
there and we're going to need to buy some things. And so we're just asking uh, for us as a, a family of believers, and for those of you who are guests, those of you who are not part of our family, don't feel like I'm trying to get you to give money to this, okay? This is a family conversation in some ways to say that we as a family are going to be giving, contributing together from what God lays on our hearts. Uh, we want to give so that we can meet the needs that it's going to take to move into the school, okay? And so that's what we're working towards. But I think sometimes if we just give and we don't understand what we're trying to do when we give, I think we miss an opportunity for growth and spiritual maturity because there is this connection between our money and our spiritual maturity. So let me read from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Follow with me there. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15, so it's going to take me a minute. It says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. And they will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three things tonight, okay? First, I want to talk about the impact of our giving. What's the focus of our giving? Why are we giving, okay? Secondly, I want to talk about the motive. What's the motivation for actually giving? And thirdly, I want to talk about practically what do we do from here? Yeah, so what? That's what you say, Nick, but what? What does this mean, okay? So, first thing. What is the impact of radical generosity? I want you to notice verse 12. He says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. What is he making uh, the point of? He's saying that our giving, radical generosity, is to impact the physical needs, meet physical needs of people. To meet the physical needs of the people in the world around us. I know it's hard for me to, sometimes to believe this, as I said a while ago, because I live in Austin, Texas. But did you know that there are kids and there are families and there are people that live right here within a mile from this place who don't get uh, enough food? They, get, they, don't, they don't have three meals a day. They don't get to enjoy many of the luxuries that you and I do and take for granted. Did you know that there are many that have great needs in our city physically? That there are single moms that are trying to make it that don't have what they need to make it and to get by? Did you know that there, are, that there are families that are just scraping by because their, their dads have lost their job? There are people that we have opportunities to, to give money to and to care for them and to meet their needs. And let me just say to you guys, uh, so you know that I'm not blowing smoke at you, that one of the coolest things for me in the last year has been able to be a part of meeting some needs of even people that sit in this room right now. And I won't point them out to embarrass them by any means, but to have opportunities where we've collected money and I've seen the generosity of people who said, we want to meet your need. Meeting needs 
to, to make sure people have food, to make sure they have gas in their car so they can go to work, to make sure they have a place to live, a place to lay their head. Listen, I love that because Jesus said that whatever you do, when you serve in those ways, you do it unto him. And it's an incredible opportunity. And I love those moments. And that's one of the reasons we give is to give to meet the physical needs of people in our city. And here's the cool thing is we don't just get to give to meet the physical needs here. Uh, because of the vision that God has given us and because, because of the, the mission that God has given us to go and to make disciples of all nations, we get to, to meet the physical needs of people all over the world. And so even as we went to Mexico last year, um, and Harley mentioned that earlier, and we got to go last, I guess it was really last spring break, and to go and to care and meet physical needs of people there. Like, I'm like, this is what the gospel is about. Practically, tangibly taking what we have and saying, God, use it to bless others so that they would see you, so they would experience you in a, in a practical way. And so we ask you to give. And as you give, our elders, our leaders here, we, may, we take it very serious that we, we try to care for the needs. And by the way, again, um, we believe that the Bible teaches us that we should take care first as a family of those who are in our family. The Bible teaches us that, that we should care for those that are in our family. And so if there's anybody in our family who ever has a need, I want you to know you don't have to be embarrassed to come and talk to me if you have a need. In fact, if we don't know about it, we can't help you with it. But if you ever have a need and you're like, I just don't know how I'm gonna make it and I, I don't have the finances to do that, please, I want you to know we, we, we are not gonna shun you. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna make it out to be like, I can't believe you. We're gonna actually try to see how we can meet that need. And we can't meet every need. But we are, as a family, we want to help meet the needs physically of people. And that's exactly what they did with their giving here. They met the needs physically. They were, they were poor, but yet even in that, they still gave to help the famine that was going on in Jerusalem. These people in Jerusalem were struggling because they were dealing with a famine. And they needed, they needed food to eat. And so they were able to care and meet the physical needs. But we don't just meet physical needs. The impact of our giving goes beyond just meeting physical needs. It meets spiritual needs. It meets spiritual needs. Now, you guys know this, I hope, but we're not just flesh and blood, right? Our bodies, who we are, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's physical and it's spiritual. So if we just simply meet the physical needs of people, but we don't meet the spiritual needs, we are neglecting their greatest need, their deepest need. In fact, I know this sounds maybe harsh, but we could actually send people to eternal separation with God with a full belly. We could fill them up with food and we could meet a physical need and we could serve them a, a meal. We could care for something physically in their world but yet never tell them about the greatest thing that they need which is a personal relationship with God. And here's the thing. I think this is important because um, you guys understand, I hope, that poverty is not from God. In fact, the Bible makes a clear case that poverty, living in poverty, uh, the, the poor who don't have enough to eat, like that's a result of the fall. You see, when Jesus created the Garden of Eden and he put man and woman in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, they had everything they needed. They had this beautiful garden that was lush, it was full of food, it was all these awesome things to enjoy. It was the beautiful creation of God. But it was in humanity's rebellion, it was in their rejection of God's plan, it was in their rejection and, and ultimately they disobeyed the one rule he gave them, not to eat from one tree. When they did that, they got kicked out of that garden. And so we see all these results, and one of them is poverty. And I just tell you, like, I hate poverty. I hate what it does, especially to children. I mean, if you've been places where you've seen children, 
that they were born and they didn't have a choice. They were born into this family that didn't have enough to eat and didn't have enough. I mean, you may not know this, but there are some crazy statistics talking about the number of children who die every day because they don't have enough to eat. But listen, it's even bigger than that. It's a spiritual problem because people need to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them, who cares about them, and who has a plan for their life that even in this life, if they don't have enough to eat and they don't have, enough, they don't have clothes to wear and they don't have everything that they, that they think they need or that they do need to, to actually live, listen, there's a day when God's gonna restore all things and he's gonna put everything back right and we're gonna be back in that place like we were intended to be in the garden. We'll, we'll have everything we need and there will be no more wanting. There'll be no more poverty in that way. There'll be no more hunger, people dying of, of not having enough to eat. And so we get to meet spiritual needs. Now, I was thinking about this because it says in verse 13, it actually tells us this. It says, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided this service. So he's saying that we get to meet these spiritual needs. And that's important because part of what we're doing in your giving is providing space like this so people can connect with God. We want to create environments, create settings and places where people can connect with the heart of God. And so that's what your giving does. It meets physical needs and it meets spiritual needs. It helps us to understand that there are, there, it takes money to do things to minister to people spiritually, okay? And so that's the impact of our giving. That's what our hope is as we give, is that we can care for those two needs, the physical and the spiritual, now, let me give you a couple things that motivate us. What's the motivation for doing this? Okay, what's the motivation for being generous and having radical generosity? I'm just going to give you two from the text. First off, we see that the motivation is creation. You're thinking like, what do you mean by creation? Well, in the text, he says this, verse 10. Now, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that there is one who is the creator over all. He's the one who provides the seed for the sower and the bread for food. So we understand that God is the creator. This means, we see this in other places in the Bible, including in Psalms where he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Because God made everything, guess who owns everything? We do, right? No, God does. God owns everything. In fact, this is always helpful to me. Um, I love dating my kids. I've got five kids that I love to take out and just get one-on-one time with them. And this week, and last week, I've had a couple of those just times to get away. My son, who's the oldest, he's six, and um, uh, our oldest son. And and, uh, we had some man time on Friday, and I took him to McDonald's. And I always see how this works out because when I go to McDonald's, um, I bought him an ice cream sundae and a Dr. Pepper. Okay, he was like, on cloud nine, this is the greatest thing ever. I get it. Ice cream sundae and a Dr. Pepper and nobody's here to take it from me, right? My, my sister's not here to share it with me. I, this, is, this is awesome. And so we go out to this little fishing pond and we're sitting there and we've got our sundae and we've got our Dr. Pepper. And I mean, it's so easy at this age to, you know, to entertain your, your kid and then to bless them with that. Um, and and I, I reach over to, to get a drink of that Dr. Pepper. And my son says, no, I, I want a drink. I, it's mine. Now, if you've ever experienced this before as a parent, or if you haven't, you get what I'm driving at. 
Because I just bought that drink. I just went to McDonald's and spent my money on that Dr. Pepper and that ice cream. And now I want a drink of it, and he's saying no. And I want to say to him, you know who owns that, right? It's not you. You don't own that. I own that. Now, here's the point. We do the same thing with God. I mean, practically speaking, that helps me so much remember, oh, yeah, God. It's like you gave me everything. And then I'm like, no, you can't have my stuff. You can't touch my stuff. And he's like, your stuff? Wait, wait, wait. Who gave you that? It's helpful, isn't it? To just stop and think. Like everything we have. And this is what's interesting. Is that the Bible, like a baseline, just a a healthy baseline of giving is 10%. 10% of what we own. 10% of of, of what we have. That means that if I had $10 up here right now, God says you get to keep nine. Okay? And I just want one. And we're like, no. No. Now, I think that there's a heart issue going on as we wrestle with that because ultimately we have, to, we have to believe that God really is the owner of everything, that he really is the one who is in charge, that he created it all, he owns it all, and he has given it up to us to steward. In this passage, we have the opportunity to remember and reflect on that reality that God is the creator, he is the one who, sows, who, who has given us the seed to sow. Now, um, I want to read something to you I think is very helpful with this. It says, any fear associated with giving to God's kingdom, if you have fear about giving to God, it's irrational. It's on par, catch this, with a farmer who out of fear of losing his seed refuses to plant his fields. Think about that for a second. It's on par with a farmer who out of fear of losing his seed refuses to plant his fields. See, God owns everything. He's the creator. And we know that he is the one who's provided us with everything we have to live and to do life, okay? But not only should we be motivated by creation, but the second thing that we should be motivated by in this passage, at the very end, he says something here, and it's been throughout the entire chapter of verse, uh, chapter 8 and 9. You see this over and over, this idea of God's grace towards us, this idea of God's gift to us. And he says this at the end, verse 15, thanks be to God, for his indescribable gift. Not their indescribable gift, but his indescribable gift. What is he saying? What is he talking about? What's his indescribable gift? His indescribable gift is redemption. His indescribable gift is redemption. My wife and I, we got a date on, go uh, to date, uh, go on dates, that's better. Uh, get the, the, the language right. Go on dates on Friday nights. That's our, our date night. We love having time together. And, and uh, when you have five kids, you gotta get out of that, especially her. Um, so you don't lose your mind. And so we get out on Friday nights, and not, not too long ago, we were at Target on a Friday night, and we were in line um, walking through, buying our stuff, and there was this, these, these two sixth-grade girls. I'm, I'm assuming they were sixth-grade. They were about sixth-grade uh, age, you could tell, and they were in line, and I guess their mom had dropped them off or something and sent them in to go and buy some stuff, and so they're in there, and they're in line. They're getting ready to check out, and one of the girls gets to the checkout, and she's just about ready to check out, and she realizes, and we kind of saw this whole thing going down, she realizes she doesn't have enough money to check out. You ever seen one of these scenarios before? And so we're like, we're right behind her, and I'm going, come on, girl, like, we're going to go home, it's going to get out. She doesn't have enough money. And in that moment, I just felt like I was saying, hey, just give her the money. It was a few bucks. It wasn't much. And I just said, hey, uh, here's, here's some money. And she just kind of looked at me, and he's like, oh, thank you so much, you know? And... It wasn't until later on that that hit me that when we come to the place where we are trying to, to get what's really important, and specifically, namely, what's, 
What's the most important thing we could possibly purchase? Wouldn't it be something beyond this temporal life? Wouldn't it be something like a forever home with God? Wouldn't it be like forgiveness of sin? Wouldn't it be like things that are gonna matter 100 years from now? Unlike things that we buy every day that break within a few minutes or a few hours or a few days or wear out. You see, the greatest thing we could ever buy and ever purchase is our redemption. That we would, we would be taken from a place of ensla- being enslaved to our sin and being on a trajectory towards eternally being separated from God to being made children of God, like Ephesians 2 ta- tells us about. That we were alienated, we were separated, we were broken, and he brings us near. Here's the point I make. Every time that we try to bring our good works to the table to buy our redemption, it's never gonna be enough. But God steps in and he says, I've already purchased that for you in the person of Jesus Christ. So the motivation for giving is that we have already in Christ the greatest thing we could ever purchase because we couldn't purchase it anyway. It's Christ's forgiveness, it's Christ's love, it's Christ's grace, it's Christ's forever home with him. It's heaven. And he's given, us to that, given that to us, not something we can work on and, and, and come to by earning it. He's given that to us in his grace and his mercy. So the, the question we have to ask now is now what? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, as I said earlier, we have an opportunity as a church family to give to support the work of what we feel called to do in South Austin, which is to help people experience the life, uh, life in Jesus. That's what we hope to do. We hope people experience life in Jesus, okay? We wanna meet their physical needs, but we wanna meet their spiritual needs. But I love what Paul says as he writes in verse seven. In fact, if you read it in the original Greek language, it's even reminding us that he did not want to in any way make these people feel like they're being forced to give. And I want you to know tonight, listen, I am not standing up here telling people, you better give. <laughs> That's not my role. I'm not the Holy Spirit, I'm not God, okay? And Paul, he says this, and I think it's very helpful for all of us in this room. He says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Listen, what you give is a personal decision between you and God, If you're married, it should be between you and God and your spouse. And at times, I think you should even bring your kids into the conversation equation because I want my kids to grow up learning and knowing how we give to the kingdom of God, to we give to the things that are gonna matter, things that are gonna last. And so he says that you should decide in your heart what you wanna give. But notice he goes on to say, not reluctantly or out of necessity. By the way, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. He owns everything. He'll get what he needs, when he needs it, how he needs it. I know that sounds like weird, like doesn't he get, his, get money like from us? Yeah, but God will, will call people and people will respond and they will be faithful and obedient. But then he says also, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can I just tell you, like I wanna be a cheerful giver. I wanna be a person that when I give, I'm like, that, felt, that was so good. I enjoyed that so much. That was so great. I love getting to give. So here's the challenge for all of us this week that are part of the redemption family. And any guests that are wanting to jump in, you can do that. But here's the thing. We want to ask God 
God, what do you want us to give? In response to creation and that you own everything, in response to your redemption that you've already given us the greatest thing we could ever get, what do you want us to give? In another way of saying it, we want you to, to do this, to go home, to look at your bucket of seed, and determine in your heart how much you'd like to sow. To consider thoughtfully your circumstances, your life, your potential, your finances, and then involving your family, pray about it, and see what God does, and see what plan he gives you. See what God shows you in your life. But here's the thing. As you do that, and as I do that this week, and and, and I hope you know um, that as a pastor, as a lead pastor here and, and the elders, like, we aren't calling you to do something that we don't do. In fact, I'm, I'm excited and nervous all at the same time because I don't know what God's gonna tell me. But you know what? I'm not gonna decide what God's gonna tell me. I'm gonna let God tell me. And my wife and I have been praying about this together. And here's what I see in the scripture I think is such an awesome reminder. He says this in verse six. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, before you think I'm trying to manipulate some response, let me just say this. Listen, I believe that for whatever reason, in the mystery of God, he has designed it where that if we give, if we give generously, he responds generously to us in his gifts. In fact, Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. So there'll be plenty in my house. But then he goes on to say, and test me and see if I will not pour open, I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't even contain it. I want to be that kind of giver. And I can't, it's not, uh, there are some churches you go to and they're like, if you'll give, God will give you money. No, it's actually not what the, the text says. It doesn't necessarily mean money. But he will bless you, he will bless me in our life because he's that good. Not because he has to, but because he truly wants to. So my challenge to, to myself and to you tonight is that as you give, wherever you give, that as you give, that you would give cheerfully and then you would say, God, I wanna be a generous sower of the seed and just see what you do with that. I just wanna be generous and just see what in the world comes back because I, I don't know what that means. I'm not giving so that, that you will give me something in return. This is not like you're a genie. This is not like you're uh, you know, a slot machine. I just wanna give and I wanna see what you, what you do, God, because I believe you're, you're that good. He says, test me. I, I thought we weren't supposed to test God. I, Malachi 3, test me. <laughs> Try me, see if, if you can outgive me is basically what I see it. So tonight, you may have walked in the door thinking, man, um, I don't know what they're gonna talk about, but I hope they don't talk about money. <laughs> we did, sorry. But know this, that for some of you in this room, you won't stop worrying about money until you open your hand and you start saying, God, whatever you want. For some of you, your anxiety and your stress and your life is connected to, the, to finances because you have not opened your hand before God. I, I can, can tell you story after story after story where I've watched that personally. And all I'm saying to you is, listen, ask God what he wants you to do and obey him. Is there fear there? Absolutely. You know, here's a scary thought. What if God called you to give beyond your comfort level? He's done it to me before. Would you be afraid? Would you try to explain it away or dismiss it as impractical? And in the process, would you miss out on a harvest opportunity for which God had explicitly prospered you in the first place? 
Let's pray.